Hello again, Freethinkers. Welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project Editor-in-Chief, Matt Agarist. Well, guys, today we have a bit of a different format for the show. Today we have two guests joining us who I've long acknowledged as being some of the most based and consistent anarcho-capitalist libertarians on social media. We are joined by Patrick Smith, who is the host of Anarchast and Disenthrall, and returning to the show for his fourth appearance, author, musician, and podcast host, Jack V. Lloyd. So today, guys, we are going to be digging deep into the well of nuance to discuss two very contentious and loaded topics, which are immigration and border walls. Now, these two topics seem to conjure up a lot of confusion within the liberty movement, and I think it would only be correct to mention that the catalyst that prompted this show this week was the fact that both of you recently challenged Dave Smith, who is a very popular libertarian and comic, on his latest hot take on this topic. So for further context, you know, Dave was having a conversation with Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown about immigration when he said, if you believe in open borders right now, under current circumstances, you're an insane person and you're just as bad as a communist. You're as bad as saying that I believe in this theory and sure, my theory is going to result in the destruction of your kids' lives, but I'm so committed to this theory that you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. So the answer is taking our entire fucking military and putting them on our border to secure our border. So obviously this is a pretty big statement coming from Dave because there really hasn't been many libertarians or ANCAPs who come out on an objective side about the current border crisis. And to many, this position Dave laid out sounds very much like what our friends on the right have been echoing for years. Now, there is a lot to be said about this topic. There are a lot of details that seem relevant to understanding the full perspective of what's going on with the current border situation. There has also been a lot of noise on this issue since the Trump years. So I think it's safe to say that many have just simply tuned out, uh, especially without the clear guidance from these established thought leaders of our movement on the principal position. So that's why we're here today, guys. And, uh, you know, I definitely want to get into the complexity of the issue. But maybe first we should hear from both of our guests on this and about their recent spat with Dave Smith. Uh, maybe we could start with Patrick, as he was the first person we initially invited on the show to talk about this. Uh, but I wanted to first and foremost, you know, ask, you know, what does Dave get right, guys? Like, do you agree with him on anything about this issue? Uh, of course, if not, that's totally OK. But I thought maybe it would behoove us to, to find some common ground on this topic before we start to dissect his position. And like I said, you know, it's, it's totally fine if you don't share any sentiments with him on the subject. Feel free. Uh, to just give a succinct opening statement on your position on this topic, and we can explore with more nuance from there. So 
go ahead, Patrick. And uh, yeah, tell us, tell us what you got. Yeah. First of all, hello. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. It's a, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Uh, second, um, what, what does Dave get right? Well, I can talk about what he gets right in all sorts of things. Man, is this guy hilarious uh, when he is on these other podcasts and he's talking about other libertarian ideas. Man, does he get so much right. And, does, and he presents libertarian principle when he's talking about other things besides the border almost perfectly. I almost never have complaints. In fact, I'm usually in like the, I'm in the gallery, like clapping and cheering and laughing when he's owning these stupid statists all over the world constantly. Oh, it's, it's an actual complete pleasure. Uh, I, I, I want to be clear that when I challenge ideas, I'm challenging the ideas. Uh, I don't do things like Dave does where he uh, tells people are, uh, says that people are as bad as communists like that. That is actually maybe the most insulting thing I think a person could say to me. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I can't imagine of a, of a, a more harsh insult than saying I'm as bad as a communist. The only other person in the world that's ever said that about me was, uh, Yaron Brook when I was challenging him on his many collectivist statist positions that are inconsistent with Ayn Rand's objectivism. But anyway, that's a digression. Anyway, so we can have disagreement. We can have these conversations without constantly using this hyperbolic nonsense that, that just degrades and divides and, um, and just makes everybody circle the wagons and, and pull back into their own camps and, and Prince and libertarian principle doesn't get refined when we're doing that stuff. The other side of it is like anti-social media just completely destroys our ability to communicate. Dave wouldn't have gotten any play if he had just made a calm, rational argument for his position on that podcast. He got all this attention because he said the insane unlibertarian stuff talking about bad as communists and put our entire fucking military on the border. That's why he got the attention. And so when I began, when I kicked off this debate with Dave again, this happens about every nine months, by the way, I've been doing it for years. Uh, I respond with something equally stupid, like, okay, add another way station liberta uh, libertarian to the list. Dave's gone, gone away from principle in search of pragmatism. That doesn't help either, but that's, that's the discourse on this anti-social media. And, and I hate it. And I play the algorithm game and then I just, I hate what, what comes after it. I want to make calm, dispassionate, rational arguments for our principles and hopefully get other people that want to have those discussions with me. So that's where I'm coming from. And that's where I always want it to be coming from. Even when I'm playing the stupid game on social media that we have to play. Otherwise, no one hears what we're saying. I, I don't know. Anyway, so this is one hell of an intro, but I'll conclude with my actual position. Um, libertarianism is focused on the primacy of consent and the primacy of property. Uh, those are individual concepts, never collective concepts. You might have a group of people that all unanimously agree on some act or some contract, but that's still individual consent of all the people to that contract or to that agreement or to that property transfer. Um, None of the arguments that we've heard 
over the course of years, going all the way back to that guy named Christopher Chase Rachels when he put out that book making this uh, first public argument for sort of collectivizing stolen property and, um, and uh, having a, a, a voting share in it, which would effectively form a new mini-democracy of this weird victim collective. Uh, I was pointing out to people why that was wrong on its face way back then. And these arguments won't die for some reason. And part of it is because these brilliant rhetoricians like Dave Smith uh, keep this stuff alive. So I'm going to continue fighting it and we can dive into the details of all that stuff. But yes, my position is that we have a, a an individualistic philosophy centered around the primacy of individual consent and individual property. And every argument I've heard for closing the border and putting our entire fucking military down there uh, <laughs> is just um, contradictory with those principles on its face. So sorry for rambling on a little long there, but hopefully I got all that out. Nah, context is important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. So, uh, Jack, what does Dave get right? What does he get wrong? And uh, what is your take on this? Sure. So uh, with Dave Smith's statements that he gets right, they're most often just kind of one-liners and zingers that are playing off the existing libertarian culture of calling out state theft or war and things like that. So Dave Smith is often actually playing to you know existing tropes that have been uh, developed by others. Right. He's he's not himself a deep historian. He's a comedian. Um, he's not himself an academic. He's not himself a ground reporter. So he just uses his comedy angle to help make um, these uh, truisms more engaging or, or funny or entertaining, that kind of thing. So we certainly agree on those kind of like one liner zingers of, of criticisms about the state. Uh, absolutely. You know, it is much you could just say taxation is theft or, or the state is a mafia. Right. So you, you can make those declarative statements, those assertions, and I'll be like, yeah, I agree with that. But the question then is, why? What makes you think these things? What underpins all these things? And that's where Dave Smith really actually falls apart. And I would say, um, you know, I actually don't think that his messaging has really gotten people grounded over the years. And I've been challenging that for quite some time, um, even up to his face at Mises U in 2019, uh, because in using these types of one-liner zingers that you think more so as like chants that you have from leftists, right? Leftists are really good at just, you know, saying, uh, you know, different types of one-liners that, that fit their bill, right? Like Black Lives Matter, you know, and that kind of thing. And, you know, just kind of encapsulating it and repeating it, that kind of focus with that kind of focus. So, you know, he'll say things like, for example, imagine holding the same exact views as your teachers, all your friends, every politician, everyone in Hollywood, the entire media class, every major corporation, and still honestly believing that you're opposing the system, right? So he can make this funny statement that, oh, look, your views are all the same as like everybody else, and you're claiming to be you know, opposing the system, right? A fun observation, right? But then he'll take that same exact concept, right, majoritarianism, and then claim, well, the will of the people means that the government can control certain things and can regulate certain things. <laughs> Based on this same kind of uh, you know concept of oh you hold the same views as everybody else so I guess that means that this is what must be done. So um, I think Dave has not done uh, economics grounding and philosophical grounding in ways that are sustainable. Uh, he um, is not there helping people become economic thinkers. He certainly mentions economic thinkers, 
but he himself is not uh, elaborating on uh, these uh, concepts and, and the, the specifics of scarcity and human action and then what. And why is that? Because he plays to his, I think, his roots, his collectivist fears from the past, uh, where he quite blatantly and openly will say things like, think of the children. And what about, you know, drug dealers in schools and this other stuff like that, right? And what about the criminals uh, coming across the border or these, you know, drug dealers coming across the border? Things that you more typically find in a neoconservative or mainstream Republican kind of rhetoric thing. So Dave is compromising uh, always on these principles. And that becomes just most apparent whenever he betrays them outright for his uh, fears, for what he thinks must be done in order to stop something worse. And so certainly Dave has a lot of things good about him in terms of um, his ability to communicate and make certain points seem palatable. But underneath of those things uh, is a whole house of cards of sophistry. And if people don't catch that, then just as quickly as they were put into a position, not based on reason, uh, they are put into a position by propaganda, they can be propagandized out of that just as quickly, as we've seen where Dave tries to make compromises with others for uh, points on Twitter. So that would be uh, my, my core uh, issue with him. I will say that uh, I've never heard anybody make a non-argument that sounded so strong as when, a, uh, was, as when Dave, as in, with that New Yorker accent, calls something ridiculous. Like it really, he is so good at his performance. And this is like one of the reasons why I'm always cheering for him uh, when he's talking about other issues in mainstream media, because man, his delivery is convincing. Uh, unfortunately, good delivery does not correlate necessarily with truth or with consistency. So that's what we're talking about. For sure. And, and like we said at the beginning of the podcast, before we started recording here, um, Jason and I are going to play the devil's advocate a little bit, right? And so part of Dave's stance is that there are, you know, and you just said this, Jack, uh, that there are there are criminals and, and foreign threats coming over the border who might pose, um, you know, might exploit these borders to undermine national security or, or sovereignty and could pose threats to private property owners, even libertarians, right? And we could easily go back and say, hey, well, the U.S. creates a lot of these terrorists, you know, from foreign policy, and that would, you know, prevent a lot of it. But without getting into all, you know, too much detail, foreign policy and everything, we could just try to answer that question. So we've already seen so, multiple instances of like convicted terrorists coming to the U.S. and then being allowed to walk around freely <clears throat> until they're picked up like years later. Um, my question is, how is that handled when, you know, when there is no enforcement of borders or anything like this? And I'm not saying I, I support this stance one way or another. But for our listeners and to rebut Dave's stance on this, how would that be handled? You guys can both answer it. Um, whoever wants to go first. Uh, is this a question about uh, some future uh, libertarian society or is this a, a current day? No, question? this is this is dealing with the current society that we have now. Right. Like, oh. the, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was saying. Sure. So the first thing you have to point out anytime you're posed one of these scenarios is that it's not being handled now. Um, government is already running these borders. They're running them into the ground. They're utterly failing as they always do with just about everything they attempt uh, because the nature of government, the lack of competition, the lack of 
property rights and consent being part of their equation, they, they can't succeed. They have good intentions from morning till night all day long, but they never, they never accomplish their goals. They always make things worse. So any, so right from the get go, any call to have government do more or to keep doing what they're doing is a call directly for more of that same failure. Um, that has to be recognized from the get-go. We have data for that, is another way to say it. Look at the history of this country. Look at every single thing the government has attempted to do, and I can point to utter abject failure. So let's stop thinking the government is a solution to any problem at all. So that's the first thing I would say. Do you, I mean, am I, let me know if I'm not addressing your question. Yeah, well, I wasn't specifically saying uh, what does government do to fix the problem. What I'm saying is what is a solution to that problem, given that that is currently Dave Smith's solution is to send the whole fucking military down to the border. <laughs> I'm not advocating for that. But if you, you know, to be able to prevent certain threats from coming across the border uh, or any any type of threat, uh, <clears throat> how do you prevent it? And, and it doesn't have to be a government issue or, or any, anything. Get out of people's way. Uh, private property and consent. So get government out of people's way. Right now, there's a bunch of people that own property inside the border, and they are forced to do nothing as criminals and people trespass across their land to get into the United States. Because if they take defensive action, if they set up impediments, or if they shoot at somebody, trespass, like some asshole trespassing across their property, they will be thrown in prison, not by Mexico, by the people that are supposedly protecting us here. You're not allowed to defend yourself. So get out of people's way. Let them have their consent and property rights. Let them work together to control who's crossing their own land and privatize everything involved. Like the, the tragedy of, of the commons, when you put it on the borders, the problems just multiply and multiply and multiply. So privatize the land, let people own it, let people choose how to, who to let through and who to not let through. Uh, this is, none of the stuff I'm saying, Dave would disagree with either, to be fair. Like he, he would say, this is the preferred solution. He would just then bolt on a bunch of pragmatistic nonsense that conflicts directly with libertarian principle, which is what we're talking about. <laughs> like Dave would tell you exactly what I'm saying, just, just to be fair to him. Until he doesn't. <laughs> well, he, he would he would say, you know, right now, while we're stuck in this situation uh, where there is no private property, you know, there's several arguments and he's changed his arguments a little bit over the years. And I know because I've been making shows on them when he <laughs> puts this nonsense out. So I've addressed each version of the Dave Border argument uh, that's come out and, and I'll be doing another one uh, when uh, I think he just did a show with Bob Murphy and that's going to come out in a few days and I'm going to do another Dave. <laughs> I usually say Dave Smith is part of the problem on borders. That's the name <laughs> of the shows uh, every time. Um, but yeah, no. So you know, he would say that right now, while there is a, a no private property government um, control situation that we need to match the situation as close as possible to what it would be like if it was all privately owned. And then he appeals to what most people want. He appeals to a system of democracy where everybody gets to vote to decide what happens with the border. And because most people want to close border, therefore close the border. That is not at all how a private property system would work. 
Not even a little bit. First of all, there wouldn't be a border. There would be a bunch of bunch like ton, like thousands of borders, <laughs> and people would be working together and cooperating on defense, on on travel and immigration, whatever that would look like. Like all of this stuff would look completely different. Jack, you want to weigh in? Oh, I definitely want to weigh in. So <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be real fun. So I like actually talking about empirical reality, right? Whenever people play policy fantasy, they trick people um, and they delude them into thinking that they are playing some type of Sims game where they can magically hit these levers and wow, everything I want about the government and for them to do, they're just going to do that and nothing else bad. So there's this huge level of delusion. And they said, you got to support the border now, 1,951 miles of land across several states that you need to support this idea or you're a communist, right? How are you going to be controlling that in the first place, right? Dave Smith's not a candidate for office. He's certainly not running. Uh, the Libertarian Party is certainly not going to be winning and uh, doesn't look like anytime soon you're going to be having a policy that controls everything. And even there, you want the feds to control that? Even Ron Paul says, eh, this is a state's rights issue thing, again, in the status norm, and the feds just shouldn't be a part of it, right? So- which angle are you going to play for that? Because in reality, you don't control the government of California. You don't control the government of Texas, Florida, Arizona, whatever. You don't control those things. So what is he doing in empirical reality? He's talking to people on the internet and saying, hey, you should believe that this is the solution, a solution that I have no control over, that is Dave Smith has no control over. He has no meaningful way to control it, but he can tell a bunch of people to be angry about it. And as if that's going to fix everything and, you know, there's not going to be a bunch of legal battles that are already ongoing with these various states fighting for their different policies or whatever they want. Certainly California doesn't want these uh, border uh, walls and, and soldiers. Texas, they want to put up fences, right? And these are going to be legal issues that percolate through the legal system and there's going to be a whole bunch of fights over that. So it's, it's kind of silly to play this whole fantasy game about something that he doesn't even control. And I just like pointing that out. He's a comedian. He is not a billionaire who controls Congress. He is just a guy talking the internet like we are. So let's be realistic. What's happening when you change minds? Are you changing them to think outside the state? Or are you convincing people to say, hmm, you know, the government, they're going to do it right this time if we just vote. And then who are you voting for? Hmm, who would be the people that would actually be dealing with border issues? Oh, right. Maybe you're just telling them to vote Republican. Because certainly if you vote libertarian right now, um, you ain't changing anything in the first place, right? Considering the cultural... Uh, you know, placement that we're at right now. So if you think in that way, you're like, wait a second, but what are those people going to do? Right. And then you just look to, to history and reality, right? Trump's this guy like, oh, he's going to be the guy that pushes against the mainstream. He'll get the border wall and all this other stuff. Mexico will pay for it. Right. Reality check. Mexico didn't pay for it. And that wall wasn't built. Why? Because there's tons of different governments and political incentives and there's people fighting over different things. And even on the practical empirical level of what is a huge landmass, right? Nearly 2000 miles. How are you going to cover all that, right? That's going to have to come from somewhere if you're going to build giant walls, but soldiers. All right. It's going to come from people paying taxes. So you're going to take everyone's money out of the market to fund this and to put it into a centrally planned solution. And then everyone else is losing out from their theft, from their taxes toward that one end. And meanwhile, hmm, what else could people do to get around this like they have in any, any other country? Um, they could go on boat. They could dig tunnels. If there's any crack whatsoever, as we've already seen, people go on TikTok and say, oh, look, there's a gap in, in the fence here. Uh, if you're trying to get you know, through with coyotes or whatever, yeah, go through this, this, uh, this little crack in the, in the fence. Uh, 
So it, it's really kind of funny because, you know, you just look at the reality of the, the expanse of this land and what you'd have to man to, to keep people out. You're, you're basically at a point where, like, you have to put landmines and, like, machine gun turrets to murder anybody that tries to come across. Because as we know, even in Florida, people flee Cuba and they'll, they'll get in a raft and they're like, woo, we made it to the Keys. We're here, right? So you have this huge incentive to come to America because people love the wealth here, right? And and the U.S. government has made it really unbearable to be in Mexico, right, with the war on drugs and all the different, you know, funding different guerrilla groups. So you have people who are fleeing for real valid reasons. They want to be in a better place. And that is so enormous, that, that pressure, right? And so the economics of incentives has to be addressed because no matter what, if you didn't address those incentives, you still have hundreds of thousands, maybe even tens of millions if we look at that app I think that was made by the federal government where you get fast tracked to get asylum if you were Mexican. It was like 64 or five, somewhere around there, million applications came through. It was nuts. So if you have this many people who are like, yeah, we want to get to the US, there's economic incentives for people to, to come on over and to be brought underground or brought by boat. And if you have these governments too on top of it, they're like, yeah, we want to bring in these people. Well, guess what? They're going to sit there and figure out ways to get them in through secret buses or through tunnels or by sea or by air. Because if this is a coordinated attempt by California government, New York government, they're going to sit there and think about ways they can get th people through and skirt the system, as has already been happening. So this idea that someone has this one magical lever and like, yeah, I'm going to slam that lever and boom, troops on the border. Oh, yeah. Walls built. How much did that cost? A trillion. And oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, if there's people and families running across, you know what? We'll just mow them down with machine guns and maybe they'll get scared or maybe we'll put some landmines down there. And maybe if, you know, a 10 year old has their leg blown off, maybe that will finally scare them from coming over to America. I mean, it gets to a point of a, a silliness because it's like you don't even think about the, the then what's right. If you're putting a military, uh, what's the military there for to give them roses? The point of the military is we will shoot you. We will kill you if you try to cross. So here these people are like, oh, my gosh, the borders in Israel and all this other stuff, they're terrible. Oh, but you know what? Let's put up a bunch of armed guards and borders and maybe some dangerous stuff to people trying to flee. And uh, huh, maybe mm, some people die. Eh, we'll just ignore it and say, yeah, you deserve it. So it's just like <laughs> they play two sides of this coin and they don't even think about the basics of empirical reality of what is in their control, what governments they control, which is zero still. And what will happen if you enable a government to create this huge militarized zone that gives this government the spying apparatus state to check, oh, are you a citizen? Are you not? You try to cross the border across 2,000 miles. And as we know, 100 miles in from every sea, we already have basically a constitution-free zone where Border Patrol agents can search through your stuff. And in the 11th Circuit, they can take your laptop without reasonable suspicion. So to me, this is the most anti-libertarian position ever. We're like, hey, let's empower the police state to do violence. And uh, let's just hope that you know, maybe that all just works out in the end by empowering the federal government that is already picking the winners and losers and creating the incentives instead of being like, hmm, no matter what, we need the government out of this. We need to stop the incentives because as long as the incentives are there for getting on welfares or whatever it is, people are going to find ways to get around it. Just like the drug war, just like people want to get drugs, even if it's illegal, even if there's cops arresting people, people still do it as long as there's these strong incentives for it and people are trying to flee worse conditions. So it's it's really that simple when you just get rid of the illusions of grandeur and just look at reality. Uh, but unfortunately, people who are playing and pandering for politics uh, miss that and they just get people to feel good about themselves. Being like, oh, yeah, tweet, tweet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Strong borders. OK, it's like and what'd you do? Nothing. So <laughs> I think and the only thing I'd add to that, because he's right when when Dave is talking about put the entire fucking military on the border. If I cross his border, Dave Smith trademark border. 
They will murder me. They will murder me. No libertarian can support that full stop. I agree completely. And Jack, you, you actually made a great point there that, um, you know, Dave is so adamantly opposed to Israel's borders, <laughs> but he had his pro borders here. That's that's quite a conundrum and certainly meme worthy if I was planning on uh, <laughs> memeing Dave Smith. But I, I do have a question here. I could either kind of dig in and, and kind of go further on this topic or we can move on. Do you guys have any preferences? On the topic of borders or <laughs> yeah, we can go all day. <laughs> you can cross my border any day. Oh, oh snap. It's a different kind of stream now. I'm, ready. I'm here for it. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, flipping this lever. I mean, Jack, you just mentioned that several times as far as like kind of the status solution that, you know, people that are trying to collectivize the solution through democracy or whatever. Um, I guess the same could ultimately be said about some of our, our ideas as well. You know, like um, how are we going to make these property? How are we going to make this property private, you know, instantaneously, as Patrick just suggested? You know, I, so I, I kind of want to drill down on this a little bit because for years, you know, I repeated the same platitude that government borders are imaginary geographic lines that don't exist in reality. And, you know, I truly believe that in theory. And, and for years I've defended it. Um, but right now, many libertarians, both big L and little L libertarians, both well-known and maybe not so well-known libertarians are pushing for more action by libertarians rather than just simply repeating mantras and platitudes because, you know, during the COVID years, we, we saw what looks like, you know, the left and the right basically running local city and state governments. And in fact, you know, we've even seen a big push by the Mises caucus over the past couple of years with the decentralized revolution, kind of urging libertarians to get involved with their local political races and to run for offices. So with that said, you know, if this in crisis is indeed being pushed by the ruling class with various vested interests in destabilizing the U.S., and the correct action is to not impede the free flow of movement or travel for anyone, regardless if they're a U.S. citizen or not. Do you at least acknowledge Dave's point that doing nothing will likely result in more destruction and that the principled stance simply requires us to move out of the way, as Patrick just said, you know, which is ultimately a non-action? You know? However, if the moral position doesn't require us to lift a finger, you know, what, what is the solution? So, of course, I'm not suggesting that troops on our border or more government policies or programs or federal agents or any of that stuff. Uh, is the solution, but is inaction really the appropriate path? And is there a solution for the individual in this current point in time under the current context of law to actually do something to better the situation? I hear Dave make these arguments in this area. And the thought that comes to mind is, yeah, yeah. Libertarians should absolutely compromise on their core principles, the things that differentiate them from all other ideologies, the thing that makes libertarians superior to every other moral philosophy, our primacy of consent and property. Yeah, we should totally compromise on those to run fucking cover for the state. We should compromise our principles to round off the rough edges of the terrible things that the state power is, is creating in the world. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good reason to compromise on our core beliefs. That is silly to wait. No, I got to say it like Dave, because this is his primary counter argument. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, uh, it, no, it's absolutely absurd. 
we have principles. Our principles are what make us um, uh, right in a lot of ways, in all, in all the important ways. We don't compromise on those. We don't say, sorry, we're going to murder you on the border so that we can try and make this terrible situation with the government last a little bit longer and hurt a few less people. No, we focus on the individual. Let's work together to find ways to protect ourselves as we go through this dumpster fire that these statists with this shared mass delusion of just authority in the government, while, while we deal with a world that those people are creating, let's try and find ways where we can work together to protect ourselves through it without compromising our principles, without becoming the bad guy. That's the thing people aren't accusing Dave of, which they need to be. When he does this, he's not just, you know, sort of being pragmatic with libertarian principle. He is becoming an aggressor. He is becoming a violator of consent and property. He is adding himself to the list of people I have that I can rightfully use violence to defend myself from. So, um, as always, I love to bring it back down to what is empirical reality for the individual, right? I wrote about this in my book, A Vision for a Libertarian Future, which is an amazing book. Definitely, if you haven't, pick it on up. Tom Woods had me on for his show. It was so good. He loved it. And the reason why the framework I have in there is so fantastic is I get people to really focus in on what the advocacy is supposed to be, which is that our advocacy is not to play policy fantasy about what's the best way for government to manage this tragedy of the commons. Our policy advocacy as libertarians, as voluntarists, and caps is to get government out of the equation and to move toward a private order, a market order, allow the free market to outmode the state. And so as an individual, you have limited control over yourself, right? You control your body. You have resources. That's your property rights. And you could do things like vote or you could run for office, whatever it is. So walk through that sample space of what you can do as an individual. And at that level, there's things that most people are going to be able to do to move toward that in ways that are sustainable for a libertarian future, whether it's getting their kids out of public schools, choosing to not be violent themselves, choosing to think outside the state and not support state things and to look for private alternatives, choosing to support people who value these principles and who themselves provide in the market and then enrich the libertarian economy and help pay it forward. And if it's the political arena, you have to ask yourself about the political realities. Are you going to support someone who actually gets this idea, the true LP platform message, which is anti-state? It is a challenge to the Leviathan that is this mass murdering mafia that says, we do not want this omnipotent state. We want people out of it. We want to have a private market order. So if you're not supporting people who have that grounded, buyer beware, this is not a surprise. We've watched this time and again. If they don't have it, they will compromise and their most status positions will most likely get out there. And so you can vote for a Republican, of course, and you could sit there and say, yeah, they're really strong in those borders, right? They're going to do it this time. And they have to ask yourself, say, OK, and what else are they going to do and support? Right. Just like with Trump. Is he is he going to save you from uh, from all the Mexican illegals or is he going to take all your money? through two different omnibus spending bills, $4 trillion, put you to debt, create Space Force, not free Julian Assange, not free Snowden, and then through emergency orders, subsidize Pfizer for Operation War Speed and kick off a new wave of tyranny that he claims that he 
you know, wasn't for while keeping up Fauci and letting it proceed and then still promoting the shot for years after. So again, you could keep playing these types of status games and you'll keep winning these status prizes where the violence is just being shifted in different directions, just like a pro-lifer who's like, I'm going to vote Republican because I'm pro-life. And then the Republican goes and says, "Okay, well, we're going to go have war in the Middle East and maybe we'll be against abortion here, but we'll blow up lots of children overseas. Right. Take your pick. You just might be picking and choosing your favorite form of statism. You might be like, ah, you know, I prefer a place that has better gun rights, but well, they have crazy, uh, you know, war on drug stuff there, you know, like Louisiana. So you better not have any drugs or, or have any prescription pills or something like that. <laughs> or you could pick a place where it's like, oh, well, you know, they got, uh, you know, better, uh, you know, green rights, you know, maybe Colorado or something like that. But then they're coming after your guns and trying to disarm you. And then they're trying to mask you. And then they're trying to force shots in you. Yeah. So, Again, you play the game of uh, picking the lesser evil, and then don't be surprised when they take that power you give them and they use it to further oppress you and further steal from you. And so as libertarians, we don't have to pick and choose. We're just talking and we're convincing others who are within their own individual action to say, okay, I'm going to consciously think about ways to think outside the state. I'm going to think about how I can get the state's influence out of my life, out of my kid's life. If I have friends, I have family, out of their lives. And I want to support people who get that. And if you can do that, you can get to something like a Javier Malay, because Javier Malay never compromised. He always called out the violence and evil of the state. He called out the theft of socialism and explained explicitly how it makes people poorer. He gave economics education. He never held back. He didn't play these status games of, oh, well, what's the best way to manage this government agency? Instead, he cut the agencies. He said, we are getting the government out. Afuera. So... That is what you need. You need that level of thinking if you actually want to meaningfully move forward the culture change. And if you compromise on that, then you're going to get other people's psychologies to become compromising. And the second that something triggers their fight or flight response in their amygdala, their fear-based mindset, which is what Dave plays to. He plays the traditional thing that we see in the media cycles and the propaganda, right? It's coordinated. Operation Mockingbird, CIA, they're sitting there saying, how do we keep people in constant state of fear? How do we keep people constantly wanting to give up their rights so we can take control? You give in to that fear and they've already won because now you're negotiating your rights away for yourself and they don't even have to because you're, you're just like, oh, I'm so scared. What, what's the next thing? War, immigrants, right? Oh, so, someone who has a gun, gun owners. They're just going to pick and demonize continuously while stripping you away of all of your rights. So you have to say, we strike the root. We want to get people thinking outside the state, outside of taxation, outside of coercion for how we organize life. And if you get there, then you actually have a shot of getting to privatization, a shot of having liberty. And if you don't do that, well, we've watched many an empire throughout history collapse. So don't be surprised when statism comes to its ugly ends, as it often does, and you end up as bad as Argentina with 100 years of socialist policies destroying the country, wreaking havoc and poverty and people suffering and dying because of it. Man, you got the response from you guys is heated, and I love it. It's passionate, not not necessarily heated. I'm sorry, I meant to say passionate. Uh, I'll take the heat. I like it. Um, so, I agree. Um, but here's the but. I think we can all. I, I'm not sure where you guys are on this. I know where Jason and I are on this. Um, I have children. Up until I had children, I was, you know, 100% principled. I did not pay taxes. I did not abide by any state rules whatsoever and then when i did have children i did not want to get thrown in a cage so i did and you can call me a hypocrite all you want but i 
I'm going to be here for my children's lives, you know, and instead of being thrown in a cage by the state for not paying taxes. So I have to pay these taxes to avoid getting thrown in a cage so I can be here with my children. I mean, I, yeah, I could have moved. I could have gone and lived in the woods or some other shit. But I mean, that that's not really a solution. Right. So um, given both of your responses that we have to maintain 100 percent principled stances on this. How do you reconcile issues like being thrown in a cage for taxation? You're not changing any minds behind, you know, stone walls and barbed wire. Well, I don't, I don't think that that's um, something that's really framed in a way where you're doing something that's in itself evil, right? Walk through the specifics of your human action. If a robber points a gun at your head and says your wallet or your life and you hand over your wallet because you value not being killed, that doesn't make you evil. It makes you giving something under duress because of coercion. Giving money in and of itself is not a violation by you against anyone else's body or property rights, right? Individual actors are responsible for their individual bad acts. So even if you give money to the government under the threat of deadly force or, or being you know, incarcerated, that doesn't make you a bad person. It's what the government does, both the theft and what they do with it, those are the actions that are evil, right? Just like a robber can take your money and they can use that money to go buy some bullets to go rob another person, that doesn't make you the evil actor. The robber is the moral agent. They have independent agency and responsibility, just like everybody in the government who does the actual actions of violence and theft. So there is nothing wrong with saying, oh, okay, yeah, I'm in this violent system. And I'm avoiding trying to be, you know, thrown into a cage because of the coercion, but I'm actively trying to stop it as well. That you're not responsible because the government is committing coercion. You're responsible, though, if the government said you need to murder somebody. If you if you if the government says, oh, you better murder somebody or we'll throw you in a cage. Well, now you are responsible because you are committing a rights violation against someone else. But giving up money is not a rights violation. There's two groups of people that push this argument, and I. I really, really wish that they would stop <laughs> because it makes people like you feel like they're being unprincipled or or feel like being principled is impossible. This is what it does. And the two groups are people that aren't libertarians trying to sort of force you into some kind of purity spiral, as they would say, to show you why your own principles don't work. They're manipulators. The other group of people are just people that actually, for some reason, believe that you have to completely, you have to go live on a, on a raft in the middle of the ocean and not interact with anything at all to do with the state to be principled, uh, a principled libertarian. It's, it's just not the case. Uh, you're not being a hypocrite when you remit taxes. Now, I'm going to get pedantic because language matters. Language changes how people thinks, think about things. You do not pay taxes. There are no tax payers. You remit or relinquish taxes under duress, under threat of death. It is extortion. Uh, there are no tax payers. There are tax victims. The language is important because it clarifies who the actual bad guy is. You're not supporting the state by remitting or relinquishing taxes. You have a gun pointed at the back of your head. So you're not culpable, my point is. There, there's no culpability or lack of principle uh, in, in, in submitting to extortion. Def look, a valid form of self-defense sometimes is capitulation. 
sometimes you got to do what the guy with the gun pointed at you says. That is a form of self-defense. Rather than getting shot, you're defending yourself by complying. All right, end of rant. <laughs> I just feel like I'm ranting a lot, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> we've had this. Uh, we've had some deep conversations on this podcast, and I do believe that Adam Kokesh would disagree. <laughs> that dude is willing to fucking go to jail and to to completely disregard all impositions of the state and up to and including taxation. He he's he's wrong, and he's trying to make a point. With you know, by being a martyr, and that sucks that that he thinks that's the way to do it. So, speaking of property rights, um, it's a, I was I was going to explain the Twitter spat that's been going on with all of you guys, right? Um, you know, uh, there there's been some debate challenges, and uh, things got pretty heated when Dave threw out a, a pretty hefty insult at Jack's wife, uh, calling her uh, worse than a Nazi quote <laughs> over the, the take on public property usage. Like she specifically said, like you just mentioned, uh, that drug addicts shouldn't be barred from public schools, right? And just to be clear here, Fo was strictly talking about public, not private institutions, right? She's standing firm on the principles there. And, uh, and Jack, when Dave tossed a question your way about this whole scenario, um, he kind of got up, you know, got on your on your case because you you uh you didn't want to answer it on Twitter. Instead, you wanted to have a live debate. So Dave ended up backing down. But you vowed to take your answer to other platforms, right? And well, guess what? <laughs> You're on one of those platforms now. <laughs> so yeah. so here's that burning question that Dave asked, right? And I I I, uh, I think this is what you were talking about. It's a uh, should public property have absolutely no restrictions as long as it exists and i'd like both you guys to answer jack since this is what dave asked you i mean, maybe he asked you too but um if not like jack if you want to go first and then patrick you can weigh in after i'm not sure if dave posed that same question to you too yeah so this is great because dave had actually already asked me a question before saying oh if i answer this and he consider having me on which was okay what's the de debate framing topic and i gave it to him and then he repost something else and makes it seem like I didn't answer a question. So that was what really uh, pissed me off about him was that he was intentionally trying to obfuscate that he had already asked me a question about that and saying, oh, okay, well, I'll bring you on with a good point. And then he tried to do it again. So I'm like, I'm done with your, you know, hoop jumping games. So the, uh, the question he asked was intentionally meant to be the most inflammatory framing possible, right? He wanted to do a gotcha to say, oh, if you respond to this in a yes or no kind of thing, then I'm going to say, oh, see, you just want to have crackheads in school or something like that, right? So why I wanted to actually talk about it on a show is because that's not my framing for advocacy at all. So Dave is caught up in these um, misconceptions about my position, and he in his whole process would keep strawmanning it, right? Because my position is not that. My position is if we're going to actually talk about a libertarian future, the focus is not I'm trying to change the policy within schools. My focus is on getting kids out of schools. I don't need to argue about, oh, what rules are because there already are rules in schools about who can come in and not just anybody from the public can come in based on the current thing. Right. We're at point A. We're not at the oh, there's no schools and you're going to create one today. So I don't control the schools. I'm, I'm, you know, there's all these different states, all these different localities. They have local control with local school boards. I don't control any of that. What do I control? I control myself and I can control my words to tell others to get their kids out of there. And I can say, hey, we should work at the forefront to talk about 
privatization, cutting the taxation, cutting the compulsion, making it easier for families to unschool homeschool. That's my advocacy. I have no interest in deciding whether a certain type of drug addict should be allowed in or this or that nonsense. My wife answers the question in earnest, just saying from a philosophical perspective, if you call something public, then how can you say it's publicly owned and use this will of the people thing if the public actually can't use it, right? She was just calling out the sophistry of that if you exactly. call it public. And then somebody else pointed out to her uh, benefit. They're like, oh, okay, so then you agree that the J6 rioters should uh, have not been arrested? And she's like, right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and then they shut up. Do you think Dave Smith's going to repost my wife saying that the J6 rioters shouldn't be arrested because they're on public property? No, because his goal is to shame, control, and manipulate. He's not interested in philosophy. He's not interested in principles. He's only interested in one-upmanship and misdirecting people on what we're advocating for. So what I'm advocating for is just not even that question. I'm not even engaged in that. That's like, you know what I mean? It's like, what would you prefer the school to be? A red paint school or a blue paint school? What do the will of the people think and the net taxpayers? I'm like, y'all are stupid. Stop arguing over all this dumb stuff that has nothing to do with getting kids out of these brainwashing centers there. They turn them into status socialists. The thing that we need to focus on and get everybody into is getting kids out. It is a traumatizing brainwashing system for state control it destroys individual young people's creativity it causes them to become dysfunctional adults and the best thing you can do that's in your control you don't have to go ask a school board or all this other nonsense in most states you can get your kids out you don't have to send them to these schools if you opt out that is what should be the focus that's what matters is stopping the status brainwashing, is getting these kids out of this trauma bonding. And no, he's not interested in that. He's not. They're like, oh, you know what? You're right. We should really be focused on helping families figure out and navigate the process for getting their kids out. We should help people be like, oh, you know, even if you think finances are tough, there's ways to do it. There's homeschool co-ops. There's umbrella schools. There's ways that you can get your kids out now. Don't be afraid. There are answers. There's homeschool defense league. There are people out there who have support groups. Is that Dave's interest? Does he want to help people actually get outside the state? No. He just wants to get Twitter points so he can get his fans to go, hoo, 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 and then they're dumber for it. And that's, to me, the biggest tragedy is this loss of opportunity to help people think outside the state. And if people don't see that, they don't understand the damage that Dave Smith is doing. They do not understand that Dave Smith is actually taking away from people learning about a way to think outside the state. And in the threads, we did that. People ask questions. We put videos about unschooling. We're like, oh, you want to learn about unschooling? Here, here's a, here's a video. T check this out and learn about you know how to get your kids out. And is Dave doing that? No. And that shows you his character. Yeah. I want to let um, Jack have his final say in regards to that thing with his wife. I'm not part of that dispute, and Jack has has said his piece on it, and I, I'm happy to leave that there. So the, the the part that is worth addressing is the libertarian principle in regards to his public school uh, homeless crackhead <laughs> scenario. Do you have do you have that quote handy? Uh, do you have his tweet where he posed that? Can you read that just to, because I don't like straw manning people and I wanna make sure that I'm, that everybody listening that. hears me address his actual words. He says, but the disconnect here is that I also advocate for that. Almost everyone committing or commenting does. You guys pretend that you're the only pure ones. This isn't an either or. Abolish all public schools, exclamation point. In the meantime, don't let crazy drug addicts or anyone who's not faculty or students into spaces for children. There's no contradiction or violation of libertarianism here. It's just not being insane. 
Yeah, so uh, unfortunately for Dave, Insane is an, uh, another item on his list of things that are just not arguments. Uh, so we can't even, <laughs> like if I wanted to rebut what he just said, I am unable to. Because it's just his opinion on how, how sane something is. Like, I, I don't care. I can't respond to that. You're not right or wrong. You just said nothing. Okay. Like, Correct. philosophically, logically, you said literally nothing. Not a truth statement. Yeah, exactly. It's not truth apt, is what a philosopher would say, right? So, um, should public property have no restrictions? When you talk about it in terms of populations and collectives and the language he uses, it frames it in a way where most people go right to their feels. I don't want fucking crackheads around my kids when they go to school. So, boom, he won. He won in the framing. But that's not how uh, property rights disputes are resolved. That's not how libertarian consent and property works. How it would work in, uh, according to libertarian principle, there would be arbitration. Dave would be the complainant. He would be, you know, in his public school with his kid and there'd be a crackhead there uh, smoking up in the corner and he would be like, arbitrator, I'd like to open a case. Uh, I object to this homeless man's use of this unowned property uh, or, or this public school property or this government property. And the arbitrator would say, uh, that's nice. Uh, so who is who who are you suing uh, over this complaint? Dave would be like, well, I'll, I'll sue the government. The arbitrator, the libertarian arbitrator would say, well, I'm sorry, the government is an invalid entity. They own nothing. You can't really sue them. They're just a cartel of thugs. And Dave would be like, oh, no, no, okay, well, I'll sue the homeless dude. Arbitrator would be like, oh, oh okay, well, what are your damages? Dave would be like, well, I don't like what they're doing, and my kids are here, and he's distracting the class or something, you know? And the arbitrator would be like, well, I'm sorry, I asked what your damages were. <laughs> And then Dave would be like, well, okay, maybe I'm not suing anybody. I'm just going to have him physically removed if he doesn't leave. And I want to give him the chance to leave before we get to that. The arbitrator would be like, oh, wow, okay, we're escalating things. What, who are you going to have remove him, Dave? Dave would be like, well, you know, government agents. Arbitrator would be like, sir, again, that's a criminal cartel. Having them use more stolen resources, the thing that you're claiming gives you a say in that property, having them use more stolen resources to do that would be you becoming a co-conspirator with them. So you become the bad guy. David would be like, oh, fine, okay, I'll remove him myself then. Arbitrator would be like, oh, oh, okay. Well, what's your standing in the matter of this property? Because you can't just bring a case without standing. What's your standing to be a complainant over this public school property. Dave would be like, well, I was stolen from, and $1 out of the $100 million used to build this building is mine, and I'm going to exert collective control over it. The arbitrator would be like, oh, so you'd like your restitution in the form of ownership over a piece of this property? Which specific one by one square inch part of this building are you claiming? Dave would be like, well, no, no, no. I'm instituting democratic control, which commingles the restitution claims of all the other theft victims in some kind of constructive trust. We then get to vote to control all government property, including this that we're standing on. The arbitrator would be like, oh, wow, <laughs> that must have been quite an endeavor. Dave Smith would be like, what? Arbitrator would be like, contacting everyone that's been taxed and getting their consent and their signature agreeing to collectivize their claims for return of stolen money and convert it into shares of control over property. How on earth did you get every single person's signature? Dave would be like, what? 
arbitrator would be like, I mean, if every single person doesn't consent or even later withdraws their consent, the whole thing falls apart. You don't get to force democratic control of people's stolen property onto them in violation of their consent. So you must have like managed to get literally everyone's consent, right? You did do that, right? David would be like, what? Arbitrator, you have little to no standing for this complaint. Your demand for restitution violates property rights of millions of people. You can either select your one by one and one one by one square inch section of this school and institute all the borders you want inside that little inch. And if that's not satisfactory, I'm afraid we're done here. Have a nice day. That's how libertarian principles arbitrate these property disputes. You don't when you when you make these grand collectivized claims that involve people crossing the border and everybody in public schools and government like this uh this obfuscates the the the, the property ownership the title to property and how it's adjudicated this is just nonsense but it's great rhetoric it convinces tons of people it's just nonsense you don't have everybody's consent but you would need it to do something like this all right fucking end of dude that was uh that was fucking pure gold right there, man. You, it's, I feel like you, like you've fucking been rehearsing that, and you just, you just <laughs> did it flawlessly executed. I'm, I'm impressed, man. No, I've been doing it for years. That's the difference. I've been doing. People attack me, and they even made some stupid accusation that it's only after Dave uh, you know, attacked Israel and the Jews that I'm attacking him. I've been, I've been doing this and thinking about this and rebutting his ideas on borders for years. This is not new. These are all old arguments. <laughs> They're just unaddressed and ignored. So anyway, I'm, thank you for giving me the chance to like, you know, put them out there again. Jack, did you have something to? Oh, I just, I just said can confirm. Like I was even just for fun looking at a video with Patrick Smith last night. He was, he was talking about, oh, if Larkin Rose debated Dave Smith and he was going through Dave Smith's points. It's like a, a video from a year ago. He, uh, he's been covering Dave Smith's fallacies for a long time. It's very true. And other people have too here and there. But they're usually just sidelined because the cult of personality and popularity contests and people who feed into that care more about their perceived bag and clout that they could get from it than actually holding the principles. And I've been very displeased to see people go that path and to choose it just to feel like they're on the in-group than being like, eh, you know what? I can hold Dave accountable for for a little bit of sophistry. What's the, what's the big deal? A lot of cowardice. And then in the end, you get to see who actually cares about the principles and is like, hmm, you know what? Dave could articulate this better in a way that gets to privatization. Dave could actually be promoting solutions that are getting people to think outside the state. But he has an alter uh, ulterior agenda, um, and, and that agenda is self-serving for his purposes and what he wants for himself um, in, in terms of his uh, show and, yeah. and for his uh, political points. Um, and certainly uh, that agenda has affected many people and, uh, you know, VC's caucus included um, in the end with him dipping out his door dates and, and other things um, that led to the, the Mises caucus uh, now floundering. So, Yeah, great points, Jack. And it, it seems very much, you know, the, the way to really gain an audience on social media is to appeal to emotion rather than appeal to logic. And that's always been a tool of sophists, you know, so. Uh, I, hopefully he, he reexamines this uh, strategy, but I did want to shift gears here just a little bit to a popular argument that I've heard, and maybe we could sink our teeth into it being uh, the last question I think we'll have time for. But I read a recent article on LewRockwell.com uh, penned by uh, Doug Casey, and he was making the argument that these migrants 
aren't like those from the early 20th century, which were more culturally similar to Americans, uh, that generations of immigrants have to fend for themselves immediately back then, but the new waves of immigrants don't because they're being actively drawn to the U.S. by massive welfare benefits, which ultimately encourage the wrong type of people. Um, <clears throat> now, a big argument, which seems to be um, more from our friends on the conservatives, let's just say, is that this influx of immigrants from around the world are going to, uh, quote, dilute our Western values, our principles of freedom, individualism, private property, etc. So, you know, while I've always in enjoyed engaging in theory, um, this does seem like a possible real world consequence. And if there was a malicious element to this debate, as far as this being orchestrated, um, it would surely be to you know water down this backbone of individualism, capitalism, and sovereignty. So again, here you know playing the devil's advocate, you know should we be concerned that U.S. politicians and ruling class elite and basically any you know the enemies of America are, in, I guess, intending and trying to funnel in some of the worst elements of other countries uh, for these free handouts? and attempt to kind of begin this slow creep of the end of Western values. And, you know, at what point do we sacrifice principle to uphold culture or do we never? Um, so there's a lot of different things to, uh, to unpack there. Um, first and foremost, obviously the increase in welfareism is a problem. So I definitely don't ignore that whatsoever. Absolutely. If the government's picking winners and losers and incentivizing people to come over, we're like, oh, we're going to use tax money to, to give these people welfare and people are coming over for that specific thing, that is a problem. But of course, there's a few other philosophical things that come up once you reach that point, right? What about American citizens who are on welfare and who are on it in a more permanent sense? Does that mean you get to uh, physically remove those people, so to speak, right? So you have this thing where... You're starting to go down this path of, okay, well, now I'm just going to start using the government force to pick and choose who's allowed to stay based on welfareism, right? Using government force to say, okay, well, you get to be here, but you don't because if you're on welfare, then you're automatically a parasite. And then while doing that, inherently ignoring that the government is itself the largest welfare recipient because the government is literally stealing off of everybody – and on top of that, the entire establishment of the U.S. government was built off of the spoils of conquering Native American tribes and Mexico. So the U.S. government itself beat back and beat out Native people here, took land, took spoils, kicked out Mexicans. They took literally uh, what was hundreds of thousands to possibly two million Mexicans out of the U.S. between the uh, 1848 uh, to uh, I think it was 18... Uh, 52 Mexican-American War, and then after the Treaty of Guadalupe, Guadalupe, all the way up to the 1954 Operation Wetback, where the U.S. government forcibly removed 1.3 million Mexicans, who many of, of, of which were uh, U.S. citizens naturalized, and they kicked them out, and they physically removed them to Mexico, right? So when people like talking about welfareism, they kind of miss out that the, the government is the largest parasite. And not only that, they are conveniently sitting on top of the spoils of other people who were mass murdered, massacred, put on reservations, or kicked out of the country in the millions of people. So there's a great irony, right? And what is that irony? It's called the survivorship bias, right? Oh, 
My ancestors conquered the people here, and guess what? Since then, we get to keep the spoils. That's right, baby. This government is the right one that gets to steal from everybody else now and pick who are the winners and losers are. And as long as I'm the beneficiary, well, then we're going to keep that in line with everything that I want, baby, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's one thing to focus on welfareism as a root incentives issue. Absolutely. You can definitely focus on that and say, wow, we need to end this. But to pretend that there isn't this massive welfareist redistribution scheme going out the state, both in benefit of those in the state, the giant, you know, tens of millions of state workers, the people who benefit from various government programs, whether it's a PPP loan to student loans to whatever else the government is subsidizing or picking winners and losers with regulatory control is nonsense, right? So this whole idea of, man, the government is picking winners and losers here. Okay. And where's your consistency for every other winner and loser that the government bails out to the tunes of billions of dollars? Do you go and then say, oh, okay, I guess we should go ahead and uh, take all bankers in the United States and throw them out of the US because banker bailouts and Wells Fargo and all this stuff like that? No, they just pick and choose current thing. This is, oh, this welfareism is too much, even though that last welfareism was a trillion dollars, right? So at the end of the day, if you don't strike the root and say, whoa, we got to stop that, you haven't changed anything. The government's just going to keep on doing the whole picking winners and losers thing. Oh, and we're going to give welfare to this group. And oh, we're going to send money to this foreign country. You haven't stopped anything. So it's a distraction from the root. And as long as you stay distracted and as long as you stay in fear, the government can keep getting you to give up your rights, to keep giving, uh, getting you to give up and picking next best solutions, made up stuff, while that candidate pretends to fix something in one area and then makes things worse in another. So that it, it's just getting back to being grounded in reality. And once you're back in reality of, okay, what are the specifics of actors and actions? What's actually happening? Then you're back to like, oh, right. The government really is a thieving mafia. And I can't trust them to do any of this stuff right while they're going to continue to pillage and plunder people and destroy lives like they always have unless you say no not the government the government's not the solution cut it get it out patrick should we be worried about the influx of immigrants from around the world diluting western values and the principles of freedom yes we should be worried um i i don't know that i'm trying to defend quote-unquote Western values because there's a lot of stuff that that may or may not entail. So depending on what your definition of that is, sure. I might change my answer. But in general, right. the, um, the Enlightenment ideals uh, are vital to everything. <laughs> like our ability to analyze and think and rationalize and, and debate, uh, we cannot lose. Uh, the, the desire to value life and liberty, we cannot lose. That's why I'm teaching my kids to value those things and about the importance of those things. And that's why I have a YouTube channel where I talk about them constantly. And and this is this is how we, um, as principled libertarians, enact change in the world. We raise our kids better. We use our voice to convince people. What we do not do is point guns at people. Why? Because that's the opposite of our values. <laughs> we, and, and it doesn't convince people either. Uh, so I, 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 thinking about what Jack was saying in the question, I'm thinking back to COVID. And uh, it makes me think of the accelerationalists, uh, where there's three positions, right? We should take actions that speed up the decline and exacerbate the harm of the state so that the, you know, the whole thing ends quicker and crashes. Then there's the sort of uh, let's let's just speak truth to the world and warn people of what's coming so they can be prepared, but not take any sort of positive action to accelerate it. And then there's Dave's position, 
which is let's let's compromise our principles to run cover for the government to extend how long this thing works. I think that's just as silly as accelerating it. I think uh, our job is to speak truth and to work together to help each other and to find ways to preserve the things that are important to us, like our values and our culture and, and things like that peacefully. The, 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 the callback to COVID was, um, you know, th there were people that were saying, oh, yeah, look at all this government fascism. It's really waking people up. You know, how can we make this worse? And there's people running cover and being like, uh, um, oh, wow. So uh, this is when that Clint guy, what's his name? Liberty Lockdown. He literally admitted to me on Twitter. Well, I guess I'm no longer a lib libertarian. That, that's a direct quote when I said that it was both immoral or inconsistent with libertarianism to force people to uh, be vaccinated to enter a business establishment and uh, to force employers to allow unvaccinated people onto their property. Uh, that, which is what a lot of libertarians back in, during that time were calling for. We're right back here in this exact same argument. It's the same beast that keeps popping up every so often, once or twice a year, where people are like, well, man, we should really compromise on our libertarian principles to round off this corner that the, the government is doing. No, sorry. We're not going to run cover for the state and we're not going to try and make things worse. We're going to be calm and rational and principled and we're going to speak truth to the world and try and work together to, to do what we can to protect those that we love uh, peacefully, principledly. Well said, my friend. And I think I'll add one last caveat here um, because I haven't really spoken too much besides my, my long diatribes asking questions. But, you know, I, I think something needs to be said about the fact that during the COVID years, the right certainly gained a lot of momentum and popularity from the normies. And a, a lot of people even moved from centrists or even leftists to the right because of the over, overbearing, heavy-handed COVID policies and mandates that were placed upon us. So with that being said, obviously that's going to reflect naturally on social media as well. So as I was mentioning, you know, too many people appealing to emotion, not enough people appealing to logic. But I think there's a strategy there. And I think we've all hinted at this during this conversation, that if you appeal to the right and their platitudes and that demographic enough that you will end up growing your social media following. And I don't even think that's something that's controversial or needs to be debated because it's just simply the truth at this point. And we've seen huge figures like Tucker Carlson rise up through the ranks, although, you know, obviously he was popular before. But now uh, him and a handful of other right wing commentators are basically the alternative media on social media now. So I, I think it needs to also be mentioned that there's a lot of uh, appeal to popularity, appeal to emotion. I think that. People like Dave and Clint, they lean just a little too right for me on certain topics. And uh, I, I've never felt comfortable with it. I've never really supported that aspect. And, you know, in the very beginning here, Patrick, you were kind enough to mention some words about Dave. And um, I'm right there with you. Dave is a great order. Uh, there's a lot of things that he gets right. But I, I do think that we need to kind of reel in this appeal to the right with some of our perspectives just because uh, it's popular or because it's trending on, on Twitter or it seems like uh, the most outrageous position that a libertarian could have, which I, I think Jack even mentioned at one point in this conversation, uh, that will get you attention. You know, that certainly will get you attention. But will that score you points and in being intellectually consistent? No. And there are plenty of us who are keeping score, who are taking notes and are watching. So, um, 
yeah, I, I guess I'll leave it there. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations, and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. We are at the end of the show, and we wanted to go ahead and give you guys an opportunity to share with our audience where they can find more of your work and follow you on social media. Okay. So um, go ahead, Jack, feel free sure, to start you know, I really time. appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a great conversation. You can find my work at Jack, J-A-C-K, V is in voluntarist, Lloyd, L-O-O-I-D. That's two L's, so jackvloyd.com. That links to a bunch of different things I do from nonfiction books like my uh, key book, The Definitive Guide to Libertarian Voluntarism, my comic book series, Voluntarist, which just had a great successful uh, funding round for the next arc. And there's a trade paperback now that's available on anyplan.com. And right now we have a great project wrapping up that's called The Unschooled Adventures of Jack and Fa. And so uh, that book is helping families think outside of the state for education, giving a little bit of fun, uh, you know, framings and Easter eggs to help people think about what unschooling could be like and to hopefully inspire people to maybe create their own unschooled communities and their own unschooling co-ops and centers. Because the thing that would really help the most right now would be for families to exit the status brainwashing. So definitely check that out. The Unschooled Adventures of Jack and Fa. It's on Indiegogo and on Amazon. And Patrick, go ahead and uh, give any plugs or anything you'd like to share as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you you introduced me. You, you mentioned Anarchast and Disenthrall. Just for everybody's uh, just so everybody's aware, Disenthrall is being sort of archived. We're moving everything to Anarchast going forward. It's the larger platform. I was wondering. Yeah, I tried to double check that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No. 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 That no. I, that wasn't accusatory. I'm just clarifying. Uh, we're moving everything to Anarchast. It's the larger platform and with the objectively better name. So you can definitely find us on all the important platforms under the name Anarchast going forward. Uh, I am at not governor on Twitter. Um, I, uh, I've been doing a lot of audiobook work, uh, audio, audiobook production for people lately. You can see uh, Walter Block's Defending the Undefendable 2. We put that one out on Audible recently. Right now I'm worth it working uh, on, I'm in the middle of production on Keith Knight's uh, Domestic Imperialists book, uh, audiobook. That'll be on Audible. Uh, I can't say when, but uh, in the not too distant future. So we're, we're doing a lot of really cool things. Um, and if I could, can I, can I have like a sort of a last word? Is, oh, that, yeah, is absolutely. that cool here? So the thing that I want people to do is realize the effect of social media is very divisive and it require to exist on social media requires being uh, kind of insane to get attention. You have to say kind of over the top things. Um, yeah. Social media is not real life. These people are probably not as insane as they come off. And so when you see these kind of discourses happening on social media, you really need to run it through a filter in your mind that takes it down a couple notches and realizes that and realize that these are real people. These are more normal people than they appear. 
and uh, they can have good discussions behind the scenes that you're never going to see on social media because it doesn't let you see it. And uh, I really want to promote this idea that we can have calm, uh, rational, reasonable debates where we where we have standards for reason and evidence. Um, and uh, like like I, I just got uh, Jack's book, Libertarian Voluntarism, and I'm going to be reading through it and talking about the things that I agree with and the things that I disagree with. And I'm going to do it in a calm, respectful, reasonable way. I know when I hit his chapter or hit his section where he talks about abortion, I'm going to tear that up, but I'm going to do it in a respectful way that I would want people to approach me with. So, uh, and I know that Jack will appreciate that and take it as the respect that I'm doing it with. I'm not doing it to tear him down. I'm doing it out of respect because I'm spending time thinking about his ideas. This is the mindset I want people to bring to the great libertarian debate, which is not a downside like people are saying. It's a superpower. We're improving our ideas by doing this. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I was just going to say, no, yeah, I appreciate y'all having us on and I'm excited to hear what Patrick uh, has to say um, about my book. I'm, I'm honored that you got it. And so I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm honestly just thrilled. So, Oh, I, I appreciate that. And, and this is the example I want us to set as, as principled libertarians trying to refine our ideas. I, I want me and Jack to be able to say, wow, we agree on just about everything, but hey, let's talk about this abortion position or let's talk about this borders position and let's do it without insulting each other's fucking wives and calling each right. other communist like this is absurd is. this is silliness yeah oh, uh, <laughs> and 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 i think you know if you watch my channels you can see how that works when i disagree with somebody the first thing that they do they get an invitation to come on and we talk through it and we do it in a friendly way because we can be friends look man if i'm friends with my neighbors that are statists trying to vote to uh i don't know ban my guns well, I'm not friends, <laughs> yeah. friends, but you know, if I'm amicable with them, then I can be friends with Jack, even though we disagree on something important and we can even work together for Liberty. And that's, that's the mentality. That's the key to this. Anyway, I, I, I just rant too much on your show and then it runs long. So I, I'm going to shut up now. No, no, this is perfect. This is uh, <laughs> the perfect amount of time on it. And, um, yeah, I could vouch Patrick actually had me on. We talked about uh, spanking and, and raising children peacefully. So um, I think we were rebutting somebody at one point. So uh, I could vouch and co-sign on that. But uh, I also should mention that we had uh, Jack's wife uh, on a couple of weeks ago for our podcast, guys. So definitely check that out. Uh, great listen. Great conversation. Um, but Patrick, Jack, you know, thank you guys for joining us today uh, to discuss this. I know it's I know it's not easy going against the grain and unfortunately, you know, even people who think that they're free thinkers and are immune from group group think can still succumb to these popular figures and, and cult idols online uh, without examining their own principles. So <clears throat> I know it's not easy enduring the criticisms to, to the unpopular opinions, especially when it's around a, a viral topic like this. But hopefully with today's conversation, we dispelled some myths, uh, provided some solutions and uh, set the record straight on the principled position regarding borders, uh, immigration, and property rights. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys again next time. My pleasure. Thanks, guys.